good afternoon, everybody. This is That Dog Training Show with Tanya Yarbrough, and I am still Tanya Yarbrough. I, yeah, same thing as last week. That's very strange. <laughs> this is where we talk about the dogs we love and the stupid human behaviors that we don't, also known as shubs. So today's topic is <clears throat> stop chewing my stuff. Yeah, it happens. You got you got animals. Things are going to be chewed. Actually, um... <laughs> We have this, uh, I have a, a history of having at least one more cat than I really desire. Um, so right now I have three. I've had just two before. I have had actually just one. Why? I don't know. I think because I hate myself. But the reason I bring it up is that the cats are just as uh, culpable for all that chewing. I mean, I've come home to my apartment before and just kind of stopped at the door and realized the cats weren't meowing for my attention or food and... Something was wrong, and then I realized the cats ate the blinds. So, um, and there was this one particular cat that I am surprised he lived as long as he did because he managed to chew through at least three cords on a fan, uh, at least one or two of the computer wires, which then encouraged the other cat to learn to do the same. So I was sure that someday I would come home and actually find a cat completely sprawled out straight like you know with its hair standing on it fried like I was afraid there was gonna be a fire and so um it's a, a common problem among all kinds of pets and if you have dogs or you know people with dogs you know that's just gonna happen it's gonna go down they're going to do it eventually and so this uh, show on how to train your dog not to chew objects it was inspired by Miss Whitney Peach um, so I'm giving her a little shout out because she gave me a shout out and uh, tagged me in her photo of her lovely Maltese that decides that Apple Wire computers are like freaking awesome to chew on. So, um, and that's expensive to replace. So, anyway, this is for you, young lady, uh, and uh, all those who are finding themselves ready to kill their beloved puppies because <laughs> they're completely frustrated. And, you know, chewing can be anything. It can be something that has to include your laundry, your furniture, uh, your blinds, uh, your hands. Um, so, there are... The way I approach this is that, first of all, we have to understand a little rudimentary uh, reason as to why your dog, I'm going to avoid the cat issue, um, the dog uh, will chew your stuff. And I've broken it down to three main reasons. One is either teething or teeth pain, pain in the mouth, something like that, which is usually includes a lot of slobbering as well, a lot of salivation. So sometimes we forget, you know, if we raised a dog from a puppy, we saw them teething phase, blah, blah, blah. We forget about when they get older, it's possible they can also have like a toothache, a little abscess or something, and then the process of the abscess growing, there's an itchy phase, an annoying phase where they will uh, chew on something just because they're trying to uh, self-soothe that pain. Um, then there's the second reason, which is it just feels good. <laughs> it's primal. It feels good. We like to chew on things. We chew on our pens. We do all that stuff. It's self-soothing. It's self-reinforcing. It's just a way to deal with a lot of anxiety, possibly, or overexcitement, um, that sort of thing. Um, and the third reason is for possession. And in fact, 
going behind the, the previous behavior to chewing is just putting the dog's mouth on something. When a dog puts their mouth on something, they're actually in that moment owning it. So they, if your dog likes to possess things or wants to possess something to get your attention, in either case, they're putting their mouth on it and that is why they might chew on something. Sometimes chewing is how they learn oddly enough to get your attention, but it's through this possession. So, um, because there are multiple reasons why to do it, and because it's kind of a, a difficult thing to uh, catch all the time, I recommend that you train your dog to overcome these things in a multi-approach. Uh, I think that plan is the best. In fact, I usually use several approaches for every issue a dog has, because it's usually just not one little cure. You need to like have a corrective and praise oriented phase and you also need a way of kind of like sort of uh, building up their tolerance for certain things. So you kind of have both things or three things going on at the same time so the dog sort of it reinforces the training all in one direction. You're sort of changing the dog's perspective on the universe by doing that. And you're going to get a better result if you actually use more than one uh, method for most things. Um, Alright, so let's first address all these multi-layered approaches that I have for getting your dog to stop chewing things. Um, one is you need to address the spatial boundaries. And this is what I mean. The dog has to understand that you are owner of the space in the den and all the objects in that den, including their own toys and their own food bowl. Okay, so even though it's a dog toy, it's a dog's food bowl, it's actually yours because you paid for it. You went hunting and you got it and you paid for it and you provided it. So it is actually yours that you are sharing. So teaching the dog spatial boundaries, and this is true by the way, the stuff that I talk about is not just for puppies, it's for adult dogs too, it works across the board. It's just the puppies tend to be a little more persistent uh, in um, and actually keep like, you know, pushing the boundaries because their attention span is like two seconds sometimes. So uh, back to this establishing ownership of the den and the objects in the den. You own it. So you are also responsible for teaching the spatial boundaries with all of those objects. So don't be surprised if you bring a new dog home, puppy or not, that the dog is going to test that out. And you have to actually monitor that. You, it's not something they're just going to outgrow. If they get to choose something, remember, it is self-reinforcing. So if you let me eat chocolate at free will, I will just eat more chocolate if I was just a dog. Right? Um, and almost that's kind of true now, even though technically as a human I should know better. But um, the deal is, is that you want to establish those boundaries, and there's multiple ways to do that. One, crating. I know you've heard this before, tough titties, I'm going to say it again. I even crate the cats, uh, mostly because they eat blinds and they steal food out of the cabinets in the kitchen and they pee on things because they're territorial and one's. One was per, it's a long story, but they're all penned and they get out for specific exercise and they're actually much calmer and more relaxed and happier. The dogs, let's get back to the dogs. The dogs have to learn that the crate is their space and it teaches them to be sort of off duty and it gives you a break. If you have to monitor their owning the space and the object in the space all the time, it's, that's an exhausting job. You have things to do, like actually go out and hunt, i.e. get a job and do things, etc. You know, go out to movies with your girlfriend or whatever. So 
you got to use crating to teach your dog that that is their space, this is my space. So the crating is hugely important in this. I can't tell you how many clients or students of mine who are like, well, I don't want to put the dog in a crate, but how do I stop them from chewing my furniture when I'm gone? You can't. You can't do it that way unless you can bilocate. Now, you can talk to St. Padre Pio about that, but I don't think he's talking to you. He's not talking to me about that because he's passed away. It's bilocation. Unless you have superhuman powers or you are a superhero certified, all right, you can't do it. So you're going to have to create the dog. You're going to have to set them up where they're not going to fail. So they're going to actually succeed because they cannot chew stuff while you are gone. That's just the way it goes. That's how you have to start it out. Hopefully, over time, with multiple approaches, your dog will be allowed and able to handle being in an out, open, free area. However, if your dog is a very treat, as what I call treat-oriented dog, i.e. they like to possess things. They are food-oriented, they like to grab their toys, they own their beds, they're very mouthy, etc. They are big chewers. You may not have that opportunity. It just may, just depends on the dog. You might have to create your dog during the day for every day for the rest of its life, but we'll find out. Start off with just a couple of months and see if it settles down, but I'm saying you need the crating. Now, that's number one. Number two for crating is that you need an out. You need an out before you get frustrated. And I'll talk about that when I'm, when I'm talking about, you know, actually getting, uh, d dealing with the, the, the second approach. Okay, so we'll, I'll bring it back up again. But the crating is an out also. It's a way to end the chewing and correction thing and not have a big game that the dog makes it into. But I'll explain that later. So hold on the crating thought if you're taking notes. Number two. Monitoring possessive behavior. That's another way that you have to, and I mentioned that already, establishing your ownership of the den and objects in the den, you have to monitor that possessive behavior. So let me talk about some possessive behaviors that's going to, if you don't monitor those then and redirect them, then you're going to end up having a, a big chewing mess with your dog. Um, one, running around grabbing everything. I have a Australian Shepherd, a miniature Australian Shepherd puppy at my place for board and train, Margot, whom I've mentioned in other uh, shows. She is currently the one in my house doing that, but this is a pretty common thing. If you have a dog who gets excited and starts grabbing a toy, and then as soon as it sees another toy, runs over to it and then tries to grab it at the same time, or drops that one and grabs that one, and then runs over to it and grabs another one, and then runs over and grabs another one, and another grabs, and they're just like on freaking speed, and they're trying to grab everything, they have a problem. And you need to address it. If you allow that dog to put their mouth on everything, because it'll eventually include your remote control and your tennis shoes by the door and the leash and everything else in this frenzied process, like some sort of shark fest, you know, on Shark Week, just like the crazy feeding frenzy. Basically what that dog's doing in that moment is saying, this is mine and 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 this is mine. And you can see when dogs do this, they get really high. They get hormonally high. They're like roll. Their eyes are rolling in the backs of their heads, and I, I actually had someone notice it. Her eyes would turn red because they're so bloodshot from the hormones, and that's something you want to actually monitor. So it's okay that you have uh, a dog that's excited about a toy, but if they're so possessive that they have to go grab everything as soon as they see it. 
you need to stop them. So as soon as they grab the second thing, pick up the first thing. If they go for a third thing, stop them, walk them to the crate. They need to calm down. Another thing you also need to do is you don't need to have a whole bunch of toys and stuff around. Okay, obviously you have your things too, but if they're starting to go into that feeding frenzy, there is no training the dog in the moment of correcting them for dropping. They're going too fast. So you can't sit there and go, drop it, good girl, blah, blah, blah. Yet that in that moment with that feeding frenzy behavior, that's not going to work. It's just they're too jacked up on hormones and they can't learn in that moment. So you're going to actually have to walk them to the crate until they calm the H down and then you pick up the extra toys. In general, I usually don't have more than two toys down on the floor in the entire house ever. So, uh, and the reason is, is because, one, I don't want to trip on them, but mostly because... If you have a lot of toys, you're encouraging that possessive behavior, that feeding frenzy of back and forth, I want to own this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and they start getting crazy, and there's sort of this weird psychological mindset that we're actually encouraging by them grabbing, allowing them to grab everything in this, in this frantic state. So I don't want, I had to teach that dog not to be possessive, and not to, and to understand spatial boundaries within the house. So... Um, when it comes to those sorts of behaviors, look out for a dog, uh, especially if you have a visiting dog. Maybe your dog doesn't do, but if a dog visits and starts grabbing everything, and then you wonder why your dog wanted to bite them, that's why. So don't let a visiting dog do that to your stuff and your dog's stuff in the house, although your dog's stuff is yours. All right? Put all that stuff away. Just out. Okay? Just avoid the situation. Okay? So, um... Just be highly aware of that, that you're just like, oh, well, the dog's really excited. Yes, that's a great observation. Thank you for stating the obvious. But why? Because they're trying to tag everything. I even have two identical water bowls side by side. And partially because I was lazy about, like, making sure I had to refill it every day. Like, I, I did, but, you know, like, I like I wanted a leeway because sometimes I had several animals. Now I keep it down. Even though the cats are created and they're not really drinking out of that, I keep it down to test the dogs. And if I have a dog coming over and they're, like, drinking frantically out of one bowl and then dipping into another one, drinking out of that one, that one, and that one, and that one, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. They are also possessing, and they're not respecting special boundaries. So I will actually stop the dog and put, walk them to the crate when they go into that frantic state. So uh, just so you know, it goes beyond just the toys. Like I said, treats are in, in my category of like prizes, of commodities that they vie for, is going to be your food bowls, your dog beds, your furniture, everything. Any object within the space of your, and for some dogs, just ripping up your floor tile is also a treat. So, um, uh, you got to watch out for that frantic frenzy. And the only way to stop that is actually to create them. There's your out, without correcting them in this frenzied state, and they're not where when they're not able to learn anything. Okay. The other thing about monitoring possessive behavior, uh, watch out for this behavior of piling up toys and objects, or hoarding them, or hiding them that's kind of a sign that they're a little possessive and you want to make sure that they don't you know maintain that behavior if you have a possessive dog then they're going to chew things eventually when they think that holding on to them is not enough and if they can't 
pull your couch onto their pile of toys that they have in the corner, they're going to chew your couch. It's, an, it's, a, it's a sort of a self-soothing fix that they've got with an anxiety. So we want to make sure that we don't like encourage them to pile up toys and hoard them and all that stuff because they are trying to fix some sort of anxiety. It's a natural behavior. I don't, don't knock it. Some dogs bury their bones and all that stuff. But a lot of times when owners bury, let their dogs bury bones or hide them or hoard them, when they have visiting dogs or a new dog they're introducing or even a new human guest come into their home, the dogs will bite them when they get close to that hoard of of. of of toys or bones, even in the backyard, all you know, you and your guests are talking, walking along. And all of a sudden, apparently, the guests got too close to the hoard of bones, and they get nipped in the ankle, and you have no idea why. You just know that last week you had to cover up a divot in the in the lawn. You know what I'm saying? So you got to just watch out for that kind of hoarding behavior because that is coming out of some sort of anxiety, and it is a problem with establishing ownership of the den and the objects in the den. All right, another uh, thing that you want to be aware of in terms of monitoring possessive behavior is consistency, consistency on what the dog is allowed to put in their mouth on. It is not okay to let the dog chew on your slipper one time and then expect the dog to not rip the shit out of your Louis Fairy Gamos another time. Not that you have any, but I'm just saying. You are setting up a pattern of behavior that you're okay with because you let it go and that's why you can't let them run around free and chew on things while you're gone because even though you're not there you're actually condoning it by not stopping it so you need consistently let you're inconsistent about what you let the dog put their mouth on what they can't if you let them put their mouth on the couch because they're excited about being pet by you or they're trying to get your attention then what do you think is going to get torn up the next time they have anxiety about you leaving the couch because it's theirs and you let them have it. So, um, so be very, very consistent. The same with teething, you know, biting your hand. I know there's a point where it's okay to have a, to teach them how to, to play because that's what dogs do without putting any pressure on and you have to teach them how much pressure is okay and how much is not. That's a normal process. So there's a point in that sort of socialization of dogs that they need to have that experience with you. But, there's a point where the dog is eight months old and they're still ripping the crap out of your arm. You didn't teach them the boundaries of how much is too much and you didn't teach them when it's okay. So, uh, yeah, don't do that. Um, also, don't expect that if you let your dog and you don't mind all the scars and the bleeding and the ripped up sleeves, don't expect your dog to understand that they can't do that to your guests. So uh, if you were trying to impress a new girl over at your place and you um, don't understand why your dog just mauled her left arm when she tried to go to the restroom, and uh, maybe you should check the scars on your arm. Maybe you should look at that consistency right there. Because maybe that dog really likes your girlfriend. And that's just how you show play. So um, all of that is about ownership and respect of spatial uh, you know, boundaries in the den and the objects in the den, which includes you and your guests. All right. That was just the first approach. Are you excited? Are you bored? Are you asleep? Of course you are. Cause I was droning on B personal space. Let's bring it on here. I was, that was a, now this is personal space. If you aren't the boss, cause you let the dog just lean on you, touch on you and get all over on you and push you around, blah, blah, blah. Then they're not going to take your boundaries seriously. Period. 
bottom line. That was a very simple one. It's very short. It's very straightforward. That's all. If you're just sort of the runt of the litter because they get to touch you whenever or lean on the couch when you're sitting on it, then uh, you don't own anything. Not even your own body. All right. Now, catching the, uh, catching the dog in the act. First time offense or occasional offense, you correct the dog, drop the, to get them to drop it, even take it out of their mouth, and then you redirect them and praise them for going for a toy that you redirected them to. You get two tries at this in any particular instance. Third time, you walk them to the crate. One, two, three, you're out. Ask to help make it happen. Don't get all stressed out. Don't keep making it a game. It's over. No big deal. They don't get it. It's okay. They're not going to. Now, with the correction and the praise and the redirect that you did, if this dog has done this several times, you've been through this process several times, then what you're going to do is you're going to actually, as soon as they grab this object, that you say, drop it, or they know that you've worked on this one particular object. They say it's a shoe or a sock. They always steal a sock. They steal a dirty sock out of the laundry every single time. So you, they know. They know the consequences. They get the dirty sock. There's nothing out to be done. You get them into the crate and you don't talk to them for a couple hours or three. Meanwhile, you have a good time with the cats. You know what I'm saying? So um, there is no, there's no tolerance. One, two, three, you're out. One, two, three, you're out. One, two, three, you're out. Okay, you know that's not right. One, done. You're over. Okay? You got to use that crate to calm them down physiologically and psychologically and teach them that they don't own anything because being in the same space with you with or without any objects is already a reward so they lose that reward without your anger no anger no pissy offy don't raise your voice don't get worried about it just change redirect them into the crate we're done bye bye I'm gonna go have a margarita whatever okay so catching them in the act that's what you do you give them when they're first time offense or just an occasional offense, you give them three chances before you walk them to the crate. With corrections, with redirect. If they're a multiple fence dog and they know they're not supposed to do, you know, put their mouth on this object and parade around the house with it, etc., they go straight in the crate for several hours and wait till you're ready to deal with it. Worked fabulously on Margot. Worked fabulously. Although I finished it off with a little finishing touch because she would occasionally break it after a couple weeks. So, that leads me to my third approach. Setting up for success, a.k.a. baiting. Ah, uh, you have a choice to make at this point. And that is, do you need the dog to actually be afraid of the object they're putting their mouth on? And before you get all bent out of shape and your panties get cut up in your little crack and you get all nasty-nasty with me, let me explain something. There are certain things that are dangerous for animals to be chewing on. If they tend to rip out the electrical wiring from your walls, that is dangerous. I'm okay with making your dog afraid of that. If it's rattlesnakes, for instance, if you like to hike with your dog a lot, camp with your dog a lot, you want them to not be near the rattlesnake when they see something moving in the grass. You want them to give you an alert bark and back away. However, if I'm doing a, uh, training a dog for movie production, I want my dog to be okay with a snake being in the scene or in the Photoshop, in the, you know, in the photo scene. So it just depends on your situation. 
I usually use that as a last resort or if it's something for very, very dangerous things. So the first thing I usually do is I will teach the leave it command. It's not a guarantee. It just reinforces everything else you've been doing, the other two approaches. And that is where you actually present the object and set the dog up to actually look at it. And as soon as they do, you say, leave it, and you give them one second, and then you correct them with a collar, and then say, good, if they stop. If they do it without the correction, which probably takes a couple of corrections, then you give them food and praise and everything else, and you end it there. Now... Margot decided after being, you know, figuring out after a few weeks, about four weeks, that she stopped, you know, I taught her to drop it, I taught her all this stuff, reinforced it, the crating, and she decided, she got through this little phase of her age where she's like, no, 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 I'm going to grab the socks straight out of the laundry and I'm going to parade around the house to get attention. So, and she was doing this to her owner stuff, so I was like, well, let's give it an e-collar. E-collar worth remote. There's two options. You have your a vibration option, which I find fabulous for uh, you know bound, space boundaries with other dogs. When you have a dog that's aggressive and tends to, once they get to a certain level of training, I use it for them to do you know teach them that there's a force field around other dogs. They have to slow down and not just t-bone their face. Um, or shock. Um, in this case, I tried vibration with Margot, and she kind of didn't care. So I was like, well, I'm going to put in the lowest level. So as soon as she, she looked at it, I would say, leave it. I gave her the chance. She knew the command already. She would still charge for it. As soon as she moved to it, I gave her the lowest level like electric shock. And she just kind of stopped in her track and was like, okay, I'm going to walk away. It only took three times, and she never did it again. Never did it again. I have known dogs who've gone to the hospital for swallowing socks. So, before you get all bent out of shape, because I used a little shock collar, remember I used all of those methods with her first. And I used the lowest level. She didn't even yelp. She just decided the socks were not her best option. Okay? So, I didn't want her being afraid of socks either. I just didn't want, I wanted her to be afraid of charging towards them to pick them up. So you can also choose to do that, leave a command or a vibration collar or a shock collar at the moment they put their mouth on it, not when they charge towards it. But Margo's kind of a fast charger, so I don't have that option. I, I'm not that, the, the collar's not going <laughs> to engage that fast. So I had to choose the charging towards the sock to make that moment the correction moment, okay? So if she just walked around it calmly, I didn't do anything. But if she charged towards it, I would give her a little buzz. So um, those are the three methods that I want you to think about. The boundaries, personal space, the whole, the whole thing with your possessions in your, in your house and, and with your, your den. The catching them in the act. Are they a multiple offense, uh, offender and they already know this behavior? Or are they just once in a while or is this a brand new thing? Um, and also setting them up for success or also known as baiting using the leave a command or a remote caller and making the choice of what you want them how how severe you want them to react I mean I usually don't want a dog to be afraid of something unless it's something that's extremely dangerous for them and I could not get them to stop any other way I by the way have used a shot collar on on Rambo because he used to steal cat turds and eat them well, half of them, and then the other half would be on my bed or in my sheets uh, that he would bury in there while I was gone to work. Um, so, or he would do it while I was washing dishes. Um, 
and come running over very proud of me that he had a new breath uh, smell. So I tried everything else and I used a little boundary thing with the shock collar on a um, covered litter box and what that did was that as soon as he poked his nose in there that's when he got shocked. I didn't want to be afraid of the litter box I just wanted to be afraid of sticking his nose in there and it worked fabulously for a long time. So uh, and that's another good reason to create the cats because then Rambo can't eat the turds and leave half of it for me. Anyway that's it for that one and uh, I just want you to know that my shubs of the week real quick don't get a dog all wound up just because they're a puppy Seriously? And meanwhile, the owner's trying to control them. Just stop it. Just respect it. All right. Enough of the grumpy bitching and complaining. I'm sure I'll have something happier to talk about. Hopefully, you guys will save your electrical cords and also not have to pay so much money replacing your Apple products. Um, the uh, As I always say, in the dog world, to love is to serve. So give your dog little ways every day to serve you. And in return, serve them well. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.